If you would, turn in the Bible to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. A few weeks ago, we finished up the book of James, and so we're kind of in between right now. And I'm happy to tell you all that beginning next week, we are gonna start the book of Job together. Hope you all are thrilled about that. Job is going to be a great study. It's going to be a heavy one for us, but a good one, right? God is sovereign, he is in charge, the devil has no power over God, and we will get that from the book of Job, and we will begin that next week. I hope you'll be here. If you've got somebody who would love to get into an actual study of the Bible where we take our time and walk through it, invite them for that. But before we do get into the book of Job, today we're going to look at the love of God, God's love, and we're gonna see it from Romans chapter eight. I think it's important for us to understand as we look at the sovereignty of God and all he's doing throughout the book of Job in the life of Job, that we understand that God loves us and we're going to see that today. It goes a little bit with Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you all. But I realized that y'all were probably dreading coming to church today, hoping that I don't get into some sappy love story here and try to influence you all to be more romantic and better in your relationships. For some of y'all, that would be awesome. And for some of y'all, that would be painful and you hope that we don't go there. So we're not going there, right? It is the love of God that we're going to study today here. But I do want you to understand, okay, that so much of our lives are reactive and responsive. Now, it's good to take lessons on how we can be proactive, right? And you've got to get up and make things happen. And here's what you need to do regardless. I understand that. And that's a, that's a great motivational speech, and there's a real aspect of that but also a lot of life is reactive. And when we are loved, it is so much easier. When we are not loved, it is so much harder. Now, if you think about that, you could apply that to so many different aspects of your life. Could be your work. Man, if your work doesn't love you, it's probably a drag, isn't it? Your marriage, your home, if there's not real love there and you don't feel love, man, it's probably empty and burdensome. We could go on and on. So life is reactive and when we feel loved. Last night I did something so awkward. I went and bought a tablecloth. I got candles, I got candy, I got balloons, I got flowers. And I went right over here to Preston Highway to the Fazoli's. I went inside Fazoli's and I asked the guy, can I just set me up a table out back? And, and he said, sure. The place was packed, actually, so that made it even more awkward for me. And I went in there and found a table, and I set up a tablecloth, roses, candles, baby bottle pops, all this. Left the girls in the car. I wore a suit and tie, and I went and got the girls, and I took them in there. We had a great time last night on a cheap Fazoli's date. All-you-can-eat breadsticks makes any woman happy. <laughs> I'm serious. They loved it. They ate a couple bites of spaghetti, and they ate a lot of those breadsticks. But I got to talking to them about the way a man should treat them. Not wear a suit and tie, not have candles on the table necessarily, but to make them feel loved to make them feel like they matter, to make them feel like they are important to him, to make them feel like he will do whatever he has to do to make them feel that way. We talked and we talked and we talked a lot about that in the car, they're having a good time. But you know the difference it makes in your life when you feel the love. 
regardless of whether we're talking about a romantic relationship or whether we're just talking about friendship with a neighbor. Reacting is a huge part of life. Feeling the love makes all the difference. But we're not gonna go in the direction of relationships today. We're gonna go in the direction of feeling the love from God. Do you know that he loves you? Is it shaping who you are, how you think, how you react because of how much he loves you? Read with me in Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse 31. Romans eight, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a statement, what a statement. Today I want to share with you three points. Number one, I don't feel loved, and I know that every one of us on some level have thought, felt, even expressed that before. I don't feel loved. Not feeling loved is a real aspect of life. You need to know that. You need to admit that. Now, I hope that it is Few and far between, I hope that it's less rather than it is more, but knowing how diverse life can be for us and knowing the many different stages and challenges that life presents, for some of us, not feeling loved is an everyday thing. Number one, I don't feel loved. In this passage, Paul is concluding what has been an eight chapter incredible exposition about the gospel message of who God is. Romans has been known as the greatest theological work that has ever been written. The apostle Paul, the missionary to the Gentiles under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writes this letter to the church at Rome to tell them all the doctrines that we need to know about God. Romans is as deep as deep gets. 
And from chapter 1 to chapter 2 to chapter 3 to chapter 4 to chapter 5 to chapter 6 to chapter 7 to chapter 8, he is just going into it and teaching about the holiness of God and the sovereignty of God and the sinfulness of man and the rejection and rebellion of man against that God and what God has done about it and how that works its way out and how we get back right with God. It is fantastic. Even here this morning, many of you all could tell us passages from chapter 1 and passages from chapter 2 and passages from chapter 3. Many of you all have memorized what we would call the Romans Road. And these are huge foundational verses that come from the book of Romans. And we know verses in every chapter. We get to chapter 8, and he concludes it with that that we just read, this 8th chapter. He concludes it emphasizing how great the love of God is. He wants us to feel secure. He wants us to feel certain. He wants us to feel locked in that God loves us. He says, nothing else in all creation can separate you from the love of God. That is to be an overwhelming, soul-satisfying, settling, comforting, assuring love. We are to believe that, but... We see that he says that up against many other challenges. So number one, I don't feel loved. You see what he's doing here? In these verses here at the end, he has said two times the great love of God. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 39, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he says that one time in a question, one time in a declaration. He says that the love of God is huge. But he has to say that over against, listen, right here in these verses, 16 things that get in the way of that, 16. And there are way more, you know that. Maybe some of these hit you right where you're living these days. Maybe it doesn't even address what you're experiencing, why you don't feel loved. But let's look and see these, okay? In verse 35, after he asked the questions, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, he names several things. The first is tribulation, trials turbulence in life, if you will, obstacles that have been put there that you don't like, things that have made the road rocky, right? Things that cause you to doubt, things that say, I don't really like this. This isn't as smooth as I thought it was supposed to be. Tribulation, distress, things that are just stressful, toxic, if you will. You wish they weren't there. How can I remove those things? Tribulation, distress, persecution. Let's be specific here. Persecution is when somebody is doing wrong against you based off your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what persecution is. Don't know if you're facing any of that. I don't see a whole lot of it here in the United States of America, regardless of what others might say. But we do know that our brothers around the world are being killed and beaten, persecuted for their faith. Famine. I don't know how hungry you get at times. I don't know how empty the cupboard gets at times. But I do know that we are increasingly more and more aware of people that are in need of food. Nakedness. No clothing. No clothing. No security. Danger. Life being hard and troublesome. Are you scared? Are you worried? The sword. Are you near death? Is there somebody who wants to kill you? Is there a chance that you could die? Paul raises these questions, and he's asking the question, do those things 
break you off from the love of God? And his answer is no. If you're about to die, if you're naked, if you're in danger, if you have no food, if you're being persecuted for your faith, if you are stressed out to the max, and if your life is the bumpiest road there could ever be, if you came here today thinking, man, I am so frustrated in life, that and all of that and any of that cannot separate you from the love of Christ. But what it can do is cause you to think, I don't feel loved. Then he keeps going. In verse 36, he says, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And he just raises the issue, and this is an amazing verse here as he's quoting it from the book of Isaiah. He, he raises this and he says, this is how we live. We live with hardship. We live with all of those things. We are for fulfillment of that. That's who we are. He's speaking of their ministry there. And he's pointing out that in the midst of those things, we are loved. Now, that's gonna be my second point in a minute. But he's pointing out to them right now as they're wrestling with I'm not feeling loved, questioning the love of God, that that's who they are, and he knows they're loved. And then he rolls right back into another list. Verse 37, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death. Now, I'll stop there for just a second. Church, here's the hope of the truth of God, that death does not separate you from the love of God. Think about that. Over the last couple months, you and I and many of us have been to funeral homes and we've stood beside caskets and we've seen bodies that have lost their life and we stand there with questions going, what in the world is going on and how hard is this, right? And Paul wants us to know right there that not even that, your heart stopping and your lungs stopping breathing will not, cannot separate you from God's love. It is that big. There are times when we start going through things and we think, I don't feel loved. He says, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, what you're going through right now, nor things to come, what you're worried about you could be going through, nor powers, demonic, spiritual warfare, negative powers, nor height, nor depth, meaning beginning or end. This is kind of the way they think about a star's existence. No matter what's going on in your life from the start, what's going on towards the, towards the end, anything, nor, any, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else. And he gives us these 16 mentions, ideas, subjects, to point out things in life that make us not feel loved. And yet, you may be asking, what do you mean we don't feel loved by that? But here, here's what I mean. When these negatives come into our lives, things that bother us or upset us, they create in us insecurity. We know that. We're very familiar with insecurities. We all have those. There are sore subjects in our lives, things that we are insecure about. Insecure means that we are subject to fears. We are subject to doubts, that we are not assured. And we have areas in our life that we are not assured about, and so we end up being insecure. Now this, not feeling loved and these insecurities comes because we sin. Life is hard. I want to give you an example. We have that classic example in the beginning of the Bible with Adam and Eve. Loved by God, everything being great, everything was good. 
And Adam and Eve, tempted by their own desires and tempted by the devil, gave in to sin. And from there, listen, from there, they became insecure, did they not? They used to be okay with being naked in the garden. Now they were bothered by being naked in the garden. They used to be okay hanging out in the presence of God. Now they were hiding from the presence of God. You understand that? They went from being secure to being insecure. They went from being loved to feeling like they're not loved. But it wasn't God that did anything with that. It was them and their sin that did that. Now, certainly in this list of 16 things, we see that some of those are brought on by our own waywardness, but some of those are just brought on from life circumstances, and that's a whole other factor here. But my point is that we get insecure in life, and it's when we're insecure that we start thinking or feeling or even saying, I don't feel loved. When it has to do with sin, then our mind goes to work on how do I fix this? How do I get back to feeling loved? And this is where the rest of Romans becomes so important. I want you to turn back with me to chapter, to the beginning of chapter eight. I don't feel loved or I'm insecure. Perhaps there's this feeling of condemnation. Jesus taught us early on that to sin and to be sinning creates in us a condemned feeling. John chapter three says that you're condemned already. If you will not hope in Christ, if you will not believe, you are condemned already. At Romans chapter eight, verse one, Paul is making the point there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this, I don't feel loved and this insecure is to be overcome by what we get in Christ. But keep going just a little bit later. Verse two, chapter eight, verse two. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God, look at here, verse three. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law cannot overcome our insecurities. So here, what does law mean? Law means I know what God says to do, and so then I'm going to do it. Law means obedience. Law means effort. Law means works. Law means I know what God says to do, and I'm gonna start doing it. And here's what happens to wayward, distracted, unbelieving, not feeling love, insecure people. They feel insecure, and if they ever try to pick their head up on their own, they think, I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna work harder, I'm gonna try better, I'm gonna be more consistent with it and all of that, and they think that they are gonna work themselves back into feeling loved, and it is a beating your head against the wall over and over again, and you know it, and you know it, and you know it, and you know it, and every one of us knows it, that trying to make yourself feel loved by God does not work. You cannot work yourself there. You will be more insecure after you've tried so hard and yet you feel more insecure. Don't you know that? Yes. You may not have read it in the Bible like this before, but you have felt it through your experience. If you're here today and you've been trying so hard for so long to be Christian and do good and you still here today feel so insecure and not loved, you are exactly what I'm trying to point out. The Bible says that uh, work and effort is not the answer. The law cannot do that. There isn't a list. There is not a list of Christian rules or Christian Bible verses or Christian principles to where you go and do this and you will feel loved. That's not the way it works. The law cannot do that. 
This is why the unbelieving people around us that are good at life are really, really far from what we're trying to tell them. We're not Christians that struggle and we're trying to become good people like the good people out there that aren't Christians. That's not what we are. So we don't feel loved. We feel insecure. And we can't get ourselves to feeling loved by doing better or trying harder. The law cannot do that. Only the son, Jesus, can do that. And that's what he's saying. I remember a couple years ago, I was at a funeral. I've been to a lot of funerals. I remember a couple years ago, I was at a funeral and a man was standing up giving a eulogy. I've never forgotten this, I loved it. He was about 50 years old and man, he was, his mom had died. He was giving a eulogy up there and it was awesome. And he said, guys, I was about, he was about 50 years old. He said, man, I was in college, I was about 20 years old before I realized I wasn't really that good looking. He said, my mama loved me so well that I thought I was the most handsome guy all the way up until college. She'd always told me how handsome I was. She'd always built me up. She'd always told me how handsome I was. He said, I got to college and I finally started to make sense of things. I realized I'm not that good looking. I laughed at that and I laughed at that, but I've, hold, I've held on to it. A mom being able to overcome the insecurity, just one of the many insecurities that you and I deal with. Our image what people think of us. Y'all, we don't have enough time to get into all the insecurities that we deal with. We get insecure over our insecurity. We'll worry ourselves sick, literally. We'll make a mountain out of a molehill. We'll make an issue out of a non-issue, won't we? We'll create a problem where there wasn't a problem. We don't feel loved. We end up in a position where we're insecure and next thing you know, it's carried over into our religion, our church life, our Christianity and our faith. Insecure about our identity in God because we're looking at the wrong things. Because we're trying when God has said to not try. One of the cool things that we love about this church and we have four pastors here and we feel the love and it's, it's an awesome thing. One of the things that was very special from the early years from, from which we were here is that the older people in our congregation did such a good job of young, loving on us younger leaders. Josh Womble's done a great job of this. If you check the church website, he, he wrote an article and it's posted there where he says, they made it easy on us to be church members. They made it easy on us to be church members. That's a beautiful thing. When I went on that date last night with my girls, I went to the closet to pick out a tie. And I found this one that is just Valentine's Day written all over it, isn't it? It's a nice, trendy, thin, skinny tie. Those are supposedly in style. Nice red, it's got some white dots on it. But I wanna show y'all what's on the back right there. Right there on the back where you stick the, the tie part through, it says, made especially for you by Opal Reese. Many of y'all don't know Opal Reese. Opal Reese was a widow in our church for the longest time. She lived over on Tolls Lane. She didn't have a lot to offer. We went over there and raked her leaves many a times. We visited her for many years once she was a shut-in. I heard that Miss Alma's got the YouTube finally working where she's at now and she may be watching 
If Miss Alma's watching right now, then she absolutely knows Miss, Miss Opal Reese. We visit her many times. But I can remember thinking early on when pastors in churches often talk about how hard it is to be a part of a church and how hard it is to lead a church, how different our experience has been because of things like this. She passed away many, many years ago. Most of y'all don't know who Miss Opal Reese is. But something like that, a handmade tie where inside of it, it's got a thing that says made for you. You feel the love in a moment like that. I wore this tie last night and I was reminded of the love. When we're not feeling the love, we get insecure. And here in Romans chapter eight, we see those things being addressed. But notice that we're not at Romans one or Romans two. Romans two says, the conscience bears witness within. That's a huge verse that you need to remember. Your conscience, your guilty conscience is telling you that you are wrong. Your guilty conscience is telling you that something is not right. And chapter two says that's a witness. Chapter three says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we have indeed separated ourselves from God. See, Paul writes about all of this throughout the book of Romans, and we get here to the end of this section, so to speak. Now, there are a few more chapters, but this is a huge climax at the end of chapter eight. And you get to the end of chapter eight here, and you have him bringing up all of these things, 16 of them, that may make you feel not loved. Life is hard. Why is it better for me? Things aren't good, so now I'm questioning. And you get insecure. And you say, I don't feel love. A second point today is believing that God loves me. Believing that I am loved. Here's the contrast to working for it or trying for it in a Romans 8 type of way, what the law could not do. The contrast is that the Bible wants you to know that God does love you. The Bible wants you to believe and experience that your maker, although you've run from him, loves you. It says it over and over and over again. And while all of these issues in the world, specifically starting with our wayward sinfulness, create in us insecurity, God's love is to create in us security. Literally, it is to secure us. And the definition of secure is to be free from or not exposed to danger or harm. Secure means you are safe. And the love of God is to make you understand how safe you are. You are to believe that God loves you. I want to ask you here today, not a blanket statement like, yeah, God loves me, God loves everybody, but a personal insecurity overcoming, insecurity wrecking, a personal assurance, security in your life, I am loved. Do you have that? Do you believe it? Would you? I want to give you two real simple points to prove to you that God loves you. Number one, he tells us he loves us a lot, doesn't he? See, it's unbelievable to me how many times I hear people say, I've never been told that I'm loved. 
You know people here today that will say, nobody's ever told me they've loved me. My dad never told me he loved me. My mom never told me he loved me. I mean, I never hear that I'm loved, right? We know people that have never been told that they're loved, right? And here's what I want you to hear today, that the Bible tells us over and over again that God loves us. He says it. And so you may have all these insecurities in the world because your boss doesn't love you and your friends don't love you, right? And these people don't love you, but God says he loves you. And if you've turned your ears off to that, well, then open them up. If you've not been listening, start listening. He loves you. You need to be reminded he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. You need to go back and find some babies working in a nursery. You need to go get a baby on your lap and start singing, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. With five kids, I feel like I've done that literally thousands of times. And so I've been able to remind them and remind me that God loves me. He says that. He says it, he says it, he says it. Isn't it an awesome thing? where you have somebody in your life that tells you that they love you. Y'all know some people that won't even get off the phone without saying they love you. Y'all know some people that won't leave the house without saying, hey, I love you. And it creates this culture of, I feel loved. God says it. And he says it a lot. He says it all the time. I want to show you just a few places, right? Take notes on these so that if you don't know them, you can. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. There is no greater love than the way that God loves. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. That God tells us we're his children, and he loves us in such a way that we are his kids. Verse 16 of of 1 John chapter three, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We know that God loves us. He says it right here. He says it time and again. First John chapter four, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. He says it, he says it, he says it. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. But we're at Romans 8. And so I want you to see verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 39, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But I wanna show you perhaps the biggest way that it's stated. Turn to chapter five, Romans five. Number one, I don't feel love. Number two, believing that God loves me. Romans chapter five, beginning in verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Notice this, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Now pay attention, verse five. And hope does not put us to shame because God's Love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Does everybody see that? The love of God has been poured into our hearts. Verse six, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. Verse eight, look at this verse. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you 
and he says it. He says it a lot. Do you believe that? He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus. And whatever it is that you're insecure about is to be overcome by the security of the love of God. He says it. But I said there are two things I want you to learn about God loving you. Number one, he tells us it a lot. But number two, he showed it at the cross. May you never, ever think about any insecurity in your life if you will not bring the cross of Christ into that conversation. Let me say that again. May you never, ever think about any insecurity in your life if you will not bring the cross of Christ into that conversation. For the ungodly sinners of the world have had the godly Jesus go to the cross and the judgment and the dying place for them. Have you ever had somebody do a favor for you and you had to say something like, man, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to repay you. Hey, how can I ever show you how thankful I am? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so very much, man. What can I do to pay you back, right? Nobody has done more for you than Christ has and that he is willing to die in your place. Judgment, punishment, and discipline are good categories and wrong, evil, bad, sinful need to be handled and dealt with. And they will, God will deal with those things. But so that he does not have to deal with all of those things in us, he has dealt with those things on our behalf in Christ. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, right, literally hanging on the cross, he's there hanging like this. And while he's hanging on the cross, you know, it's three nails, right? One nail went through here and one nail went through here and he crossed the legs over and one giant nail went through his legs and he's hanging on the cross. And we've got this statement that we, we, we read from the Bible that on the cross, Jesus said eight different things, right? He said, uh, uh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said, he said I thirst. He said, uh, behold your mother. He's talking about Mary to, to John down there. You know the statements of Jesus on the cross. We've studied those before, right? And while Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's God, he's sinless, he's the savior of the world, he's the best teacher ever, he had never done anything wrong, and he's hanging there on the cross fulfilling the plan of God, which was God's plan from before the foundation of the world. He's hanging there on the cross. And then at some point, God takes Josh Green's sin and your sins, and the sins of the whole world, and puts them into Christ. It's called imputation. He takes all the sins of the world, he like swoops them up and dumps them on Christ, and the message of Jesus changed on the cross, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's going on here? God was pleased to crush his son for you. It was the will of the Lord. It was a dark day and it went dark during the day and everybody freaked out. They all ran and hid and the boldest of the bold and the confident of the confident ran and hid and locked the doors. It was deep and horrible. It's been called the worst sin in the history of the world, the crucifying of God. Why? 
us how deep the Father's love for us. That he would kill his son for sinners like you and I. May you think through every issue in life according to the cross of Jesus. That the innocent died for the guilty. And three days later, God raised him up. He was alive and well. He had done what the law could not do. He had died for us to save us, to redeem us. And there is no greater love that you will find anywhere at any place than the love that God has for you through Jesus' death on the cross. He loves you. Do you believe it? Now, our problem, getting back to insecurities, just like Adam and Eve, is because of sin being this kind of like sick and twisted, kind of messing us up, cause us to be distracted thing that it is, and it really is, is that when we do wrong, we start to question that. Isn't that nasty? Isn't that troubling? That I make a mistake and I start to wonder if there's a problem with God. God didn't do anything in the garden. Adam and Eve did that. And next thing you know, they have changed the way they think about God. And so the same, same, same thing happens with us. What once may have been secure in the love of God turns into insecurity when we lose sight of the love of God. That he loves us. You know, I did a lot of weddings last year. We got more coming up here soon. And in premarital counseling, we always bring up this point that in marriage, is my voice getting a little raspy? I didn't notice though. Thank you. In marriage, marriage is 100%, 100%. I know you've heard me say this before, but we need to keep hearing it. Marriage is 100%, 100%. What people might think if they don't believe that is that it's 50-50. You meet me halfway, I'll meet you halfway. If you're a good wife to me, then I'll be a good husband back. That ain't marriage. And where do we get this 100%, 100% from? We get this from God. Because the gospel is the foundation for marriage. The Bible tells us that Jesus loves us, right? He never said anything like, okay, because y'all are so good, Jesus is gonna go do y'all a favor. He's gonna die in your place. And you, you, you start walking his way, he'll start walking yours. You'll meet in the middle and then we'll have, some, we'll, have, we'll have a loving relationship. No. While we were far and gone and insecure, he came and died for the ungodly. And in us being so loved by him, it changed. It changed the game. It changed our hearts. It changed our lives. It changed our futures. It changed who we are, just his love. And because we are so loved, then we love him back. And so what we want people to understand in premarital counseling is if you, the single you, not your spouse, will make a commitment to love them, then you'll bring 100% love, whether they're loving you back or not. But what you find when people are loved, they love back. This is the secret to life, right? Now, it's not always that smooth because life is hard and we're sinful people, but it's 100%, 100%. Once you know that Jesus loves you, everything changes and you start to believe that. Christianity is not a 50-50. Well, God loves me if I'm a good person. Baloney. God loves me if I'm trying hard to, to do right. No. 
You need to believe that through the cross of Christ, from what God says he loves you, from what God shows that he loves you, he loves you, and you need to believe that, and you need to rest in it. And if you're here today, and this is brand new to you, or it's gripping you, and you've never said, I want to believe that, then here in just a few minutes, we're gonna have an invitation right here, and you come forward down here and say, I want to believe that Christ loves me through the cross. I'm gonna give my life to him. I'm going to believe in him, and I'm gonna become a public Christian today. Believe him. Believe that he loves you, and be secure. In a world where everything seems so insecure, be secure that God loves you. Number one, I don't feel loved. Number two, believing that God loves me. But number three, loving from love. Oh, I want us to get this. Oh, how so many of the issues and tensions in the world would be such less if we learned to love from love. Look back to Romans chapter eight. There was a TV show on on, on Christian television a long time ago. I don't even know if it's still on. And it made me not like this phrase, more than conquerors. Some of y'all that are older might remember this show on TV, right? And it made me really not kind of like this phrase. But in verse 37, do you see where he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Does everybody see that? In those 16 things that are listed here in Romans 8, it's all the ways that we feel not loved and all the ways that we feel insecure and all the things that make life hard and frustrating. And it's all the ways that we might think, I can't love. I can't be what I'm supposed to be. I can't just keep being obedient. I can't live the life that I'm trying to live by faith in Jesus. I can't, I can't, I can't. And Paul says the exact opposite. He says, no, no. In all 16 of these things, in every insecurity that my life has, in every insecurity that your life has, we are more than conquerors through, read it with me, through him who loved us. God's love is so strong that in believing it, you become a conqueror or an overcomer against every insecurity to be loving. Loving from love. So what we have here is that point number one, I don't feel loved, is overcome by point number two, believing that God loves me, to produce point number three, I can be loving, because love doesn't come from, listen to me, love doesn't come from, am I good at being loving? Like, this is a strength of mine, I'm just a loving person, or this is a weakness of mine, I'm really not good at showing love. Uh -uh, We don't think about that. It does not come from And please understand this, it does not come from whether they're lovable. What a bad game our world has fallen into on trying to decide if we should love people. Man, we are such bad judges at that, aren't we? I think I'm gonna love this person. He's been really good lately. I mean, he's been really helpful lately. I'm gonna love this person. Now, they're not appreciative, so I'm not gonna love them. And they're kind of ugly, I'm not gonna love them. And their kids are crazy, I'm not gonna love them. Right, no, we're so bad at that game. You do not do that. You don't try to determine if somebody is worthy of your love. No, 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 no. What we do is we say, yes, God loves me. I know that he loves me. I feel so loved, and therefore we love. We love from love. And to what extent more than conquerors, overcomers, unstoppable at showing love because there is no way to stop how much God loves us. What a truth this is. C.S. Lewis said it like this. God loves us not because we are lovable, but because he is love. 
He loves us, not because we're so lovable. Matter of fact, the Bible says we're not, but because he is. Augustine said it like this, in loving me, you made me lovable. Think about that. If God loves us, he loves us. And if God loves us, nobody stops him from loving us, we're now lovable. If God will love us, then we're lovable. Imagine how shaping this can be to the way you think. Loving from love. And isn't this a beautiful thing in marriage? When I woke up this morning, I was thinking so much like, man, it's a busy Sunday. It's kind of hard to be, celebrate Valentine's well for my wife on, on, on Sunday. And so I went over to her and I went to tell her happy Valentine's Day and I said, happy anniversary. And it's not our anniversary. Our anniversary is April 2nd. But because I said that, it got me thinking about something. On my nightstand, literally right beside where I sleep, there's a little frame that Val has made for me and printed out for me, the wedding vows that she said to me on April 2nd, 2005. The wedding vows that she said to me. It's awesome. She gave those to me. And we've said often around here how powerful and special it is to be happily married. It's amazing. But one of the things that makes happily married is when you know that that person loves you no matter what. No matter what, she's there. No matter what, she welcomes me home. No matter what, she keeps trying. No matter how many times I mess up, no matter how many times I've been a bad husband, no matter how many times I've been foolish, no matter how many times I've dropped the ball or forgotten or been a worst listener you could ever imagine in a marriage, no matter how many times I've done that to her, she keeps loving me. And because of that, I want to love her back, albeit with shortcomings. And while that makes for a pretty cool story and a happy home and a marriage and a family, which it does, it's even so much stronger with God. Because wives struggle to love and husbands struggle to love and parents struggle to love well. But God doesn't. He loves you. And he says it a lot. And he shows it in the cross. And your insecurities need to have a conversation with that. And once you bring those insecurities into the picture of how much God loves you, you can say, I'm loved, and then start loving. In Galatians chapter two, the apostle Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, listen to this, who loved me and gave himself for me. His entire life has been shaped by how much God loves him. Everything changes when you know God loves you. It is such a sweet place to live. I am certain that nothing else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Romans 8 and your strong love. Thank you, God, for a love that can shape a life. Father, we pray that it would. God, we know that believing this can't come from us. We pray that you would give us faith. Oh God, lead us to respond. God, we thank you that you love us. We worship you because you love us. And we pray, God, that in our homes and in our church and everywhere, that we would learn to love from love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.